Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. Today's date is March 27th, 2022, and it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How goes it, my friend? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. There's a... It's still just as hard as ever. In fact, it's getting harder to find anybody to work. But uh, I've had three new hires in a row not show up for their first day of work. Oh, my gosh. That really sucks, especially when you're the you know, the business owner. I mean, you're. Not, I guess you're not losing out on training these people, but you kind of need someone to show up. And now you've got to waste your time trying to hire the next person while you're still trying to do the work that you needed them to do. Yeah, exactly. And this is and this is one of the reasons why I really resent comments like the one that uh, Barack Obama made when he was president and uh, people like Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau when they say that then they talk directly to small business owners and say, you didn't build that. Yeah, B.S. I did build it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, the people, the people working for me are doing a specific job that I paid them to do, whereas I am the one doing everything else, and I'm the one taking the risk, and I'm the one who doesn't sleep at night, and I'm the one that, you know, has put his his family home on the line to build a business. And when people say, "Oh, you didn't build that," or "You don't deserve to make," you know twice as much money or three times as much money as your employees. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, well, for sure you do, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and actually, we'll be touching on that issue later on in the show, too, not directly in, in your case, but uh, on the show today, Jason Kenney's leadership review kind of goes sideways. The Liberal NDP Coalition, what does it mean for Canada? Jerry Diaz is out, and why? CPC leadership, and then there were 10, and more. Where do we start, sir? Oh, let's start with that piece of crap, Jerry Diaz. Great idea. So, uh, Jerry Diaz, for those of you who don't know Canada, he, well, and now, now retired, he was the union head of Unifor, which is the largest private sector union in Canada. It was a merger of... The Steelworkers and CEP, I believe. Um, at any rate, uh, 2013 when Unifor was formed. Jerry Diaz has been the only union head of Unifor. Last month announced he was going to retire. Okay, fine, well, you know, thank you for your service. Best of luck to you. Get lost. Um, a few days later, trickles out, well, I'm retiring because I have some health problems. Automatically you think, oh, no, that's not good. Poor Jerry. Well, then a few days after that, it trickles out that, well, I'm, uh, I've am i got a problem with sciatica and I've been taking medication. Okay, well, good. A few days after that, if you're following along Canada, then it's revealed, well, he's entered into rehab because he's been taking prescription pills and alcohol. So again, oh, poor Jerry, we're, we're with you. Hope you can fight through this. Well, then, only a few days after that, which turns into last week, it's discovered that Jerry Diaz took a $50,000 bribe from a company that makes COVID tests to 
push those COVID tests to his to his union members in the companies that he, that he they represent, and offered his associate twenty five thousand of that to keep his mouth shut. Well, that didn't happen, and Jerry Diaz, you're a piece of crap. Yeah, and I'm not surprised by this because he's always been a piece of crap. I mean, we, you and I, I mean, I, I we've talked about him on this show before, and it's usually during election campaigns because that's when he makes his his face shown on TV because he actively campaigns against anyone who is right of the liberals and like calls them the most horrific names calls them racists and bigots and and uh and all of that kind of stuff like he and the thing is is that his union represents most of the news like most of the news reporters in the country yeah, that's right. And he was running, or I guess Unifor was running attack ads against the conservatives in the last election, and you know, has done so a lot. Like it's uh, ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, they, they, he's a he's a piece of crap. I mean, we've always said that. This is not us like changing our tune on the guy because he got caught with his hand in a cookie jar. No, it's we've always called him a piece of crap. And we're not surprised by this. No, not one bit. So I'm, uh, you know, while I, while I initially had some sympathy thinking, oh, he's, you know, he's got some problems to battle through, I no longer feel sorry for him. One little bit. No. All right, that's enough about Jerry Diaz. Let's talk about another topic we'll uh, knock up and knock down right away. Leona Alislev has now entered the CPC leadership race. So now there's 10 candidates in the field. Yeah, and anybody who doesn't know who Leona Alislev is, um, she used to be a Liberal MP. Uh, she was elected as a Liberal MP and quickly uh, crossed the floor after after being in the House, I think, what, a um, couple of years? Yeah, it wasn't very long, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I think probably because she was a Liberal who crossed the floor, she was very quickly made, was it Deputy Leader or House Leader? Uh, I think she was uh, house leader. That, I know yeah. she wasn't deputy leader. Okay, so it must have been house leader, because, yeah, she yeah. became very prominent very quickly in the cabinet. She did not win her seat in the 2021 election, so she is private citizen, Leona Alislev, and she's now entered the race. Now, I mentioned to you before we started the show, what I think is interesting about this is part of the rules for the, the leadership is each candidate had to put down a $50,000 deposit. And but the I believe it's when the membership sales deadline is up in June, they need to put down another 50000 And then there is going to be another 200000 on top of that. So each candidate, if they stay in the race for the whole duration, needs to put down $300,000. So doing the math, Canada, if all 10 of these people stay in the race... There's $3 million to the Conservative Party's next election campaign. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not like the last one where it was, I think it was half a million per candidate, and that's why there was only four. Um, but, uh, but I mean, we're quickly getting to uh, a size, like a leadership field of the previous one where... where uh, they had 13 
candidates. Um, and we're quickly getting there. Like we're already at 10. Uh, I mean, and people complained about the 13 and then can people complained about the last one we had, which was only four um, because there wasn't enough choice, but now we're at 10 and I, what I don't understand is what some of these candidates feel that they offer that no one else does. I mean, Leona Alislev didn't even, you know, she's not even an MP. What does she think she's got that that she actually thinks she could win the leadership? Well, that's a good point. And I just got to wonder, and you know, I talked about this before, too. It's like, so all these people who are effectively no-names, and I guess Leona Alislev is not a no-name by any means, but what do these people think they're going to gain by entering the race? Because I mean, there's, there's really three maybe four who've got a good chance of becoming leader and the rest of them i mean i guess yeah great to represent your ideas and whatnot but that's an awful lot of bank just to put your name up there yeah who who do you think are the three or four that have a legitimate chance i say pierre polyev obviously i mean he's he's way out in front um Patrick Brown, I think he's definitely got a shot because he's, he's got some name recognition. He was an MP. I mean, now he's mayor of Brampton. Jean Charest's name is getting thrown around a lot by the media, so that is going to end up drawing some attention his way. And outside of that, I don't really see a lot of hopes for... Uh, I mean, Leslin Lewis might be the fourth-place finisher, but that would be the best she'll do. See, I don't think anybody has a shot except Pierre right now because nobody in the in the conservative party uh supports jean charret if jean charret does have a chance at winning he needs to sign up a ton of people i think it's like a thousand a week that he needs to sign uh just to have a chance yeah and i mean the the, the mainstream media can parrot his name all they want it won't affect conservative party members because they don't trust the mainstream media in the first place. Well, that's a good point. And Patrick Brown, he just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar too. So I don't know that he even has a shot anymore because conservatives don't have a lot of respect for people who are caught, you know, you know, using misusing public dollars. Yeah, well, actually, the Patrick Brown thing, I hadn't heard about that until you uh, showed me that post-millennial article that, yeah, it looks like $35,000 he was used of, well, Brampton taxpayer money to boost his own social media profile. Not to mention, he was one of the ones who was leading the charge against Bill 21, and we had talked about this on the show when it happened, that we really didn't think that municipal politicians needed to be involving themselves in Quebec business and now he's getting called out for that so yeah maybe you're right he might not have a uh, a big chance either yeah well thirty thirty five thousand dollars to promote his leadership bid and to boost his personal uh, uh, like Facebook page and stuff like that so I mean that's that's a misuse of tax dollars, and I don't think that um, I don't think that Canadian conservatives will 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 stand for that because that's something that conservatives stand against. 
Yeah, agreed. So I mean, I hope I hope that you're right on that. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a an interesting race. I uh, I can sincerely hope that some of these fringe candidates out there really just drop off. I don't really want to see a race of ten or eleven or thirteen candidates again because it was. I remember going to the debate here in Saskatoon in 2017 when there was thirteen candidates and. I mean, we were over an hour just listening to, to each one's introductory speech. It just it just drags on way too much when you try to have an all-candidate forum or debate. And the messages aren't all that different because, I mean, they're all still Conservative Party members. They still have a lot of the same ideas. So it gets quite redundant. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like an American-style uh, primary, right, where... Where in the U.S., like those those guys go for the jugular because it's not like they have to make nice with the the other candidates because you can call them a racist or a rapist or anything like that and still be the vice president. Well, yeah, that's true. So. <laughs> I mean, they, in the in the U.S. primaries, right? Like they're not they're not trying to become a leader; they're trying to just become the candidate. And in Canada, like when you win uh, a a leadership race, like you're not just winning the candidacy for that election. You're the leader of the party. So you still have to get along with these people. So nobody's like, like drastically disagreeing with each other or or calling each other out too much. Right. Like it's there's a little bit of it, but not a lot. Because you still got to get along with these people. You still got to work with these people. Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, So it kind of makes Canadian leadership races really boring. Yeah, well, especially when they're going to drag it out for six bloody months. I mean, it's uh, September 10th is when the, the leadership election is. Oh, I know. It's just brutal. I mean, the, uh, you and I talked about this before it started. When we were like, please, don't make it September. Make it, like, July. Yeah, like exactly. make, it, make it quick because I mean nobody enjoys these six month long leadership races, especially when they stretch out over the summer. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean I get that they want to be out there on the summer barbecue circuit and whatnot, but yeah, I mean I'd rather would have the leader elected by summer and have the leader out on the summer barbecue circuit. Yeah, and nobody's paying attention in the summer anyway, except for the people that go to those barbecues and. And generally, the people going to a Pierre Polyev barbecue in Penticton, B.C., have already decided that they're voting for him anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, let's, let's, uh, or, or someone, you know, going to a, a Jean Charest barbecue in, uh, in, you know, Weyburn, Saskatchewan. If they're going to a Jean Charest barbecue in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, then they've already decided they're voting for Jean Charest. Yeah, that's right. So, all right, let's shift gears from federal leadership to a provincial race, which is not really a race, but Jason Kenney's leadership review. Now, there's some more controversy around this. And oh boy, is there ever. <laughs> no, he was, the leadership review was set for April 9th to be held in Red Deer. And I'll talk about the logistics first, because I'm actually on board with, uh, with Kenny and crew on this point. And... They had planned to have the meeting in Red Deer, and I actually have been to that very hotel where they intended to hold the the, the vote, 
Uh, so I understand that when they had, they were expecting about 1,300 people and then well over 10,000 signed up, there's no way that hotel would hold that many people. And unless they're going to rent out a hockey arena and try to get all the logistics set up in two weeks, it's just not going to happen. So I don't blame them for going to a mail-in vote, which is now going to be taking place. Well, the results will be read out in middle of May. So they've got, I think, until May 10th or 12th to mail in their ballots now. But of course, that, and then add a quote-unquote secret recording that was leaked to the media, and Jason Kenney's really got people talking. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't listened to that that secret recording, um, pause the show right now and go to Google and just type Jason Kenney secret recording and listen to it and then come back and press play on our show. Yep, that's actually a really good idea. Now, we're not going to play any clips from it because the audio isn't all that great, but... I mean, he, he says a few things that are notable. I mean, there's... And this is why I'm going to put my conspiracy theory out here right now. And so you know I'll be proven right in about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but my theory is, is this recording was neither secret nor secretly leaked because it actually makes J- Jason Kenny look pretty good. Um, one part of what he says, and he says... What's the easiest path for me? Well, just just to take a walk. I don't need this job. I can go work in the private sector and have my evenings and weekends. And then he later in the in the speech in the I won't say speech later in the recording says that you know he's he wants to stay on because he wants to make certain that mainstream conservatives win the day and that uh, he wants to keep the the lunatics from from running the asylum essentially. And I think yeah, all those lines actually make him sound pretty good. So I don't think someone would be leaking this to CBC if it was something that actually makes him sound good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you listen to the sound quality of it, it's not great. I mean, especially the first, like, 30 seconds where where it sounds like the person recording it is fumbling with the phone um, the whole time, and you can barely understand anything being said. Um and then, you know, the recording sounds like it was taken from the back of the room. Um, it doesn't sound like they were standing right by him or right by a speaker. It sounds like they were right by at the back of the room. So, I mean, it could be a secret recording. It might not be a secret recording. Frankly, I, I don't think it really matters. Um, the The gist of the speech though is basically there's a coup and he's going to fight the coup that's a good way to put it yeah and and the uh and i and i can't and i can't disagree with him on this because i think there is and i think that there is a i think one thing that the trucker protest did do was bring out a lot of wackos um, there's a lot of crazy people that came out during the, the trucker convoy, uh, protests and everything. And there's some, there's some people that maybe should be seeing a psychiatrist on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I mean, I I supported the trucker convoy and all that, but with every protest, you're going to get some strange people coming out of the woodwork. And I think it really pulled a lot of strange people out of the woodwork. And those people are now um, leading a charge to remove Kenny as premier. Yeah, and he did address that when he had said that there was a lot of people who had just recently purchased memberships who were going to come out for this vote. And a lot of those people probably are NDPers or leftists who just want Kenny gone. So so he's right. He's definitely right about that. And, of course... Yeah, because any, anybody who's an NDP supporter needs to be seeing a psychiatrist on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's for sure. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so now that here's the, here's the question, and I will ask this fully tongue in cheek, Lewis. If not Jason Kenny to lead the UCP, then who? I have no idea. Yeah, because I am. I I I left Alberta uh, fifteen years ago, and I have. I have so many provincial government problems in my own province that I have not paid a whole lot of attention as to who the the up and comers are in the uh, Alberta UCP. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know who who could take over because I don't know who any of the uh, MLAs are. Oh, I, I think you're forgetting one person who has been campaigning for the job since before he even won the Fort McMurray by-election recently. Oh, Brian Jean. Brian Jean. He's, yeah, he's Brian openly Jean. campaigning. He, he's, he's been openly campaigning against Jason Kenney. Like, uh, you're right. I forgot all about that. I've seen... He, he, he openly campaigns against Jason Kenney without mentioning Jason Kenney. Um... And talk, basically, you know, talks about how how poor leadership in the provinces and all that kind of stuff. Yet joining the party that's ruling the province and and uh, and running in a by election. Um, I forgot about that because I do follow him on Facebook and I and I have seen uh, a lot of his posts over the past you know couple of years. So thank you for reminding me of him. Yeah, when on his victory speech when he won the by-election he actually did call Kenny out and essentially said I'm coming for you so uh you need to step down is what he actually it was his exact words so I don't know if he's behind any of the the rumbling and uh, if he is fine I mean I like Brian G he probably would be a, a very good leader I don't think this is the way to achieve your your goals of taking over party leadership but I guess more power to him yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't know that that... I, I've always kind of questioned his tactics. Um, because how do you call out the governing party while joining it and running for it? Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, mostly he's calling out Jason Kenny. I mean, for a long time, he never mentioned Kenny by name. He he just mentioned leadership as being poor and needing a change and all that kind of stuff, but never quite mentioning him. I didn't realize that he actually mentioned him in his in his uh, victory speech. Yeah. So now he's uh, 
he's definitely gunning for him. So, uh, oh, but yeah, we've known that for a long time though, because I mean, his, his social media posts have pretty much have made it very clear that he was like running for the party, running in the by-election with the sole purpose of becoming leader. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, my so question... but, aside, but aside from Brian Jean, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. I don't see anybody else other than Brian Jean as well. So here's the question I'll put to you. I mean, given what we have now, there there is a crap ton of activists who are going to mail in ballots. Do you think Jason Kenney survives this? I don't know. I mean, I mean, a lot of people are really disappointed with how he handled COVID. Um, I mean, not just disappointed, but angry. Uh, a lot of people are angry, especially like not just in his party. I mean, in the province, I mean, people were really, really upset throughout the entire province with how he handled COVID. Um, I don't know. I mean, he only really got his act together with, with handling COVID in the last, like I'd say six months. Um, but, uh, because like he, he said there would be no more lockdowns, no more this, no more that. And then within a couple of weeks lockdown, um, and that was back in what, September, August or September. And so, I mean, it, uh, you gotta, you gotta be careful what you say and be careful what you do. You can't be contradicting yourself like that. I mean, it's one thing to say, I mean, one thing that I, I, I appreciate about a politician that can admit that they were wrong um, and need a course correction because they are wrong uh, or they were wrong and they admit it because, I mean, nobody admits being wrong anymore. I mean, not just politicians, just anybody. Nobody admits being wrong anymore um, because being wrong apparently is is the worst possible thing you can be anymore aside from being a conservative and um <laughs> and um of course i was tongue-in-cheek people of course uh, <laughs> so uh i mean I, I just i know i still have friends i still have family in alberta and they tell me how angry the general population is with jason kenny so I don't know if he, I don't know if he survives or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, see, my thinking is he's uh, he's already made it clear that fifty percent plus one votes for of support is you know it means he he has support of the party. But bear in mind that Allison Redford had. I think it was 76 or 77% support, and she stepped down. Ed Stelmach before her, this obviously was the progressive conservative days, had somewhere in that high 70s as well, and he stepped down because they, they figured that, that that high 70s figure was not enough to command the full confidence of the party. So I think that if Jason Kenney does get 50% plus one or even 57%, I don't know if that's really enough to to say you've got the full confidence of your party. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think he can survive it. I think he's got enough personal charisma and political savvy that he can find a way to pull it off. But 
boy, is it going to be interesting. Well, I, you know, I mean, you bring up Ed Stelmack and Allison Redford, and I mean, Allison Redford. Let's let's be honest. I mean, she stepped down because she saw the writing on the wall. She didn't matter how much support she had. The fact was, there was stuff that was coming out. True. I mean, she knew that that she was going to be exposed, and so she stepped down before that happened, right? Or when it was. I mean, right at the beginning of the stuff coming out, she she stepped down. That's um, a good point. Ed Stelmack, I think, was taking Ralph Klein's lead, right? Ralph Klein said anything less than eighty percent, and you got to step down. Um, and I think that, like, that's that's what he did when his leadership was challenged, right? And he still got over eighty percent when that happened, and he made that statement. He said, you know anything less than 80% and you don't have the full party support. So, um, and I think Ed Stelmack was, was kind of just taking Ralph Klein's, you know, lead on that. Um, and, uh, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I think, I, I don't know that 80% is the number to go by, but I think at least 70 anyway, I mean, you, or 75. I mean, I think you should have three quarters of the party support, to be able to, to remain a leader. Yeah, and I mean, working against Jason Kenney, there is a significant number of MLAs and former MLAs who've been kicked out of the UCP caucus who are speaking out against him. So he's he's definitely got his challenges ahead of him. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate because, I mean, you and I have been, a, uh, you and I have been, Jason Kenney, you know, we've been critical of Jason Kenney. Um, since he's been the premier of Alberta, because, I mean, he hasn't been what we expected him to be. Um, when he was, he was one of, if not the most effective minister in Stephen Harper's cabinet. Oh, for and, sure. And you and I were like we we heaped praise on him because when he was a, a a minister in Harper's cabinet because he was a fantastic minister in whichever department he was put in. Um, he was he was really good. He just hasn't been the premier we expected him to be. He's it's like he's best as a vice president and not a president, you know. And or premier, like he's he's best as a senior cabinet minister and not a premier or a prime minister. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he le loses the leadership challenge. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, holds on by the skin of his teeth. Well, and that's what it's going to be. If he does hold on, it's definitely going to be the skin of his teeth. So, yeah. Okay. Let's have some real fun here, Canada. The NDP Liberal, don't call it a coalition, government is, well, it's here, and we talked about it last week on our show, but let's talk a bit more about the ramifications for Canada now that it is here. Now, we've learned since last week's show, uh, Jagmeet Singh admitted this on, I believe it was Power Play with Evan Solomon, that talks began for this coalition, oops, don't call it a coalition. It is a confidence and supply agreement 
the talks began right after the 2021 election. And you reminded me just before this show that there was a couple of dumbasses in Western Canada who actually brought that very idea up well, right after the election. Yeah, and not like right after the election, like immediately after the election, the next day on our show, we were saying, um, in fact, I think I, I brought it up and you didn't, you didn't realize it at first until I brought it up was that uh, Margaret Trudeau on election night was talking to reporters and she talked about how Jagmeet Singh was going to be a really uh, a, 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 was going to be really great to work with in a coalition. When she realized what she was saying, she stopped mid-sentence and said, Oh, why am I the center of attention? <laughs> and, and that, and we brought that up the very next day. And it sounds to me like, and I said it then, sounds like Margaret Trudeau is privy to a lot of what's going on politically in the Liberal Party and the Liberal government. And it turns out she was she was breaking news and nobody caught on. Nobody in the media talked about it. Only us. And so I, I call Jagmeet Singh a liar. I don't think the talks started after the election. I think they started before the election. Otherwise, how would Margaret Trudeau know about it? Yeah, that's right. So I mean, they they must have been this was must have been a contingency plan of some kind. So now that it's here, well, what does this mean for for Canadian democracy? Consider this, Canada Bill C eleven now, which replaces the old C ten censorship bill. That's going to sail through. Bill two twenty three that we talked about a couple shows ago, but the guaranteed basic livable income. Well, that's now going to go through because that's an NDP private members bill. Well, now they're part of the government. So I see that passing. I see committees getting stalled left, right, and center. So there'll be no no scandals uprooted on the, the current liberal government. And I see nothing but bad news ahead. Oh, nothing but bad news. I mean, if the censorship bill passes, which it will... Like that could spell the end of our show. Oh, it sure could. Like, see the the bill C eleven. We will still be safe. That's the one where they go after people who make money off the internet. We've deliberately never solicited advertising for our show and never asked for donations, so we're safe from that one. But then, yeah. when whatever is the next C thirty six, whatever number that one takes on in this next form, that's the online harms bill. That's the when we say Justin Trudeau is a moron, that we are inflicting harm and and we'll be pulled off the air instantly. Not just pulled off the air. We'll be fined. And not just small fines, big fines, like $50,000 fines. And those fines can be levied against us without us ever committing the act. They can be... It, the, the All it takes is someone to report us to the authorities and say, I have a reasonable expectation that these two twits from Western Canada are going to say something 
uh, racist or they're going to say something hateful and they can immediately sue us for $50,000 a piece. And when though that, if, you know, we paid those $50,000 fines, they go to the person who complained about us. Yeah. So it's really like, um, well, you're, you're, you're paying snitches. Yeah. This, all of this does. You think that the division and hatred in our country is bad now? Wait until you benefit financially from the division and hate. Yeah, well, because I mean, not only are they going to criminalize opposition, and we saw that with the trucker convoy, and you're right, they're now going to benefit those who expose the quote-unquote criminals. Like, this this has got totalitarian written all over it. Like, uh, Justin Trudeau admires China's basic dictatorship, and now they get to emulate it. Yeah, well, and I mean, it seems like politicians in the European Union have figured it out, and uh, they're calling them out publicly, um, and the media around the world is covering that, uh, but ours isn't. Yeah, that, that's funny, and we we had posted up a link on uh, to one article on our our Facebook page, and and I'm I'm actually quite proud that we are one of the very few and mean other independent media as well, that are actually not afraid to say, hey, you know what? They don't love him anymore. Yeah. Like, I... Uh, oh, I know, and I really think... I think this is actually going to have some detrimental effects on Canadian politics in that uh, Justin Trudeau is going to realize that there is no way he is going to get that UN job after he's Prime Minister that he's always been wanting. Um and he's going to do everything he can to retain power in Canada because that UN job won't be there. Well, that's a good point. I mean, uh, he had brought up in a press conference recently, I believe it was last week, that he, uh, you, I think you shared this with me, that he planned on staying on for and beyond the 2025 election. So, yeah, yeah. I, I thought for sure that by, by summer, the Liberal Party would be pushing him out in favor of Christopher Freeland, but... Now I have reason to believe that's not the case because I think you're exactly right. And what did I and what, what what did I say? I think I say this every show. We are consistently wrong about Justin Trudeau's <laughs> future in Canadian politics because we keep predicting his demise because of something stupid that he has said or done or something illegal that he has said or done. You know, like the We Charity scandal. I mean, that's that that is outright illegal. What happened there? Oh yeah. And yet he, and yet he survives it every single time. I thought that him telling uh, Jewish M, uh, Jewish conservative MPs that they stand with people who wave swastikas would be the end of Justin Trudeau. But no, his own Jewish MPs formed a circle around him and and defended him and in fact repeated what he said i mean the, i'm sorry but those jewish liberal mps who stood up and said the things that they said and just parroted what he said you have no self-respect no they don't. And you will sell you will sell your soul 
to stay in power. And you're a, you are garbage people for doing that. Yep, absolutely. Now, here's something to think about Canada. And this, of course, is always going to be my angle as a fiscal conservative. The Parliamentary Budget Office uh, had predicted that with our current spending tracks, that by the time the 25 election come along, we would be spending $40 billion a year just on debt servicing, which means just on the interest on our debt. Well, throw that number out the window, because now that Jagmeet Singh is demanding dental care, which is already starting this year for anybody under 12, will now be getting government dental care as of, I believe it's supposed to start this summer. And then it and it just tears up. Anybody under 18 for next year. And the list just keeps building and building until it's everybody by 2025. And add that to Pharmacare and who knows what kind of wacky climate change goals Stephen Gilbo will have. So that $40 billion just to pay the interest on our debt every year is going to balloon. Yeah, this is scary, man. I mean, and we talked about it the last show. Uh, it won't be long before you call your dentist for an appointment and it's going to be a two-year wait. Because with everything being paid for by a, uh, by, by, you know, you know, Alberta health or, or Ontario health or whatever the, the different provincial health authorities are called, but because everything's being paid for by those health authorities, that everything's going to get rationed. Dentists will be limited to a certain number of root canals per month. They'll be limited to a certain number of fillings per month. They'll be, you know, limited to a certain number of, uh, you know, bridges. Um, like all these, all these things that have been paid for by private sector insurance companies that have been supplied by employers are now going to be rationed. And if you don't believe me, look at our healthcare system and how every single surgeon in the country is limited to one day a week of operations. That's it. They're only allowed to operate for one day a week. That's why if you have a biopsy and find out that you have cancer, you can't get that cancer tumor removed for six weeks. It's why you can't get a hip or knee replacement for 18 months. It's why you have to, if you don't live in a big center, you have to wait for the mobile MRI machine to make its way to your town every like two months or whatever it is. Yeah, well, what it comes down to is now bureaucrats are going to be deciding on your dental care choices now, and rather than just having it taken care of right there on the spot. And then, well, PharmaCare is next, and we see the daycare system as, as it's going to roll out. Well, that's also going to be rationed accordingly because they don't have the spaces now. They don't project they're going to have spaces for five years. So, uh, 
there was an article, and I can't remember the the outlet that had posted it said that you know Justin Trudeau might be the leftiest prime minister in history. Well, duh, and might be. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know how we we recover. I really don't. No, I don't either. Because once people get these programs, uh, they don't want to lose them. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll, it'll be like no healthcare. Matter how bad, no matter how bad they are, they don't want to lose them. It's like our healthcare. No matter how bad our healthcare system is, nobody wants to lose it because it's quote unquote free. Well, exactly, and I mean, I don't blame them because obviously procedures and whatnot can be expensive depending on what you get. But and we can't just rely on conservative governments whenever they show up just to manage these crappy systems better than the previous liberal governments. And Quebec is actually, of all places, taking a stand on this. And they, Premier Legault, I guess maybe because there's an election this year, has promised to reform the health care system. And where have we heard this before? To a patient-centered model. I hope to hell he actually does. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... The thing that people don't understand is that... Is that... 80% of healthcare in the country is delivered privately already. The only parts that aren't are the worst run parts of healthcare, and that's the hospitals. The hospitals are the only part of healthcare that are that is not delivered by the public system. Or sorry, that are delivered by the public system. Doctors' offices are all private businesses. The hospitals are publicly run and publicly operated. Uh, they are the only part of the healthcare system that is, and it's so it's, and they're the worst run part of the healthcare system. Well, honestly, anything the government runs tends to be bloated and inefficient. So, oh yeah, no, no. Surprise. I mean, it, and that's something that I've always said: is uh, why do you want government to be in control? of more and more things. Every single thing they do is everything, every single thing that they run is extremely poorly run. And I mean, everything from the military. Oh, and speaking of the military, their handguns are from the second world war, not the first world war. I did look this up. Oh, good. Thank um, you. Yeah. So, uh, and the, uh, that's a correction to last week's show, by the way. Um, the uh, the military, the RCMP, the hospitals, the medical system, the uh, uh, infrastructure, everything is so poorly run whenever a government is in charge of it. I can't understand why anybody wants to voluntarily give control over something to the government. Yeah, well, you know, Milton Friedman, the great economist of, uh, in the United States, uh, rest his soul, once said that if you put the government in charge of the Sahara Desert, there would be a shortage of sand in five years. And <laughs> I, I, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good... That's a good quote. That's yeah. a great quote. And, I mean, and Thomas, Thomas Sowell, the, another great... American economist uh, has another has a really good uh, quote as well, and that is, "There is nothing more stupid than putting uh, the 
responsibility for decisions in the hands of those who have who pay no price for being wrong. Yeah, that's right. That, that that's also another great quote. Yeah, and and that and that describes the Canadian government. It describes all governments perfectly. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think we'll wrap it there, Canada, because we do like to leave you on a sour note every time, with as long as we can. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a tradition. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, chew on that, and good God, God help us all with this coalition. And yeah, yes, and and I want to say something too before we before we close out the show is, um, we we've, we've been getting more of those uh, voice messages. From on on Anchor FM, uh, which is the app that we use for um, uh, broadcasting our show, uh, we, we're getting you know other voice messages like the one we uh, uh, mentioned last week, and uh, and we really love hearing from our listeners. Like, please leave us you know send us a voice message. Tell us what you think of the show, and uh, unless it unless it's bad. <laughs> and then I don't, I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. We love the feedback. So, uh, so send us your feedback, please. Much appreciated for sure. So, uh, Yep, so we look forward to hearing from more of you. So thank you to that gentleman who got the ball rolling and got it started for us. So uh, until next week, uh, we'll talk to you soon. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night.